what it looks like, what ideally you as the birthing person need to feel as supported postpartum, um, or even what kind of environment you want to birth your baby in. It can all just kind of be these high level conversations at first, um, but just so that it's on the radar of the other person or your mother or any other support person around you, because a lot of times, especially our mothers, you know, they, they might feel like, oh, well, I need to be the first person to know when this baby's here and I'm going to be the first one at your house and I'm going to be like, you might decide, I really want a cocoon. Welcome to Mom Strength, a podcast and movement to empower, educate, and showcase mom strength inside and out. I'm your host, Surabi Veach, physiotherapist and fitness coach, also known as the Passionate Physio. Join me for discussions on movement, mindset, and motherhood, where we raise the bar and challenge the status quo. Get ready for expert interviews and real, honest conversations where we explore physical, mental, and emotional health. Let's celebrate the beautiful diversity and common experiences in all of our journeys. Let's do this. Hello, friends. I'm so excited today to be having this conversation with one of my business besties, um, Takesha August. And Takesha and I met on social media, on Instagram, back in December of 2020, as we were on a live call with uh, Dr. Shante Coolfield at the Move and Maestro. And we both happened to be on this call, and then we ended up joining her monthly membership and we've connected since and honestly we have so many uh, amazing conversations and I'm really really pumped to have her on today. I will officially also introduce her. So Takesha August is a maternal wellness coach and founder of MomKind, that's MomKind, kind with a Y, um, which is a hybrid maternal wellness practice providing yoga, meditation, and conscious education to women along the motherhood continuum both online and in her local community just outside Washington, D.C. She's also a certified women's health coach specializing in reproductive health with training from the Institute of Integrative Nutrition, the Fix Your Period Apprenticeship Program, and the Shakti School Ayurvedic Wellness Program, as well as a birth and postpartum doula trained through Dona International and Mama Glow. Wow, that is so many different things in one person. Hey, Takesha, I'm so excited to have you on here today. Hi, Surabi. I'm so excited. Um, I'm just sitting here cheesing because it's just so <laughs> great to connect with people that we know um, online in in a face-to-face online version. <laughs> so it's really great. I mean, you all can't see her face and me seeing her, but it's really great to make eye contact as so we're, true. we're talking. So it's so, so happy to be here. I always think it's like, it's kind of like online dating, right? It's like you like meet someone online, you like get to know each other a little bit and then like your first face-to-face interaction. And I'm like, you know what? I kind of see the like the good parts of online dating now because you kind of know the person before you meet face-to-face and it the conversation just flows easier because you already know know each other a little bit. So um, so yeah. Okay. So Takesha, why don't you tell me a little bit, you know, we know a little bit about your bio, but why don't you tell me about, about your, your journey, about yourself, uh, and kind of how you got to be here kind of doing this type of work. Yes. Great. So, um, I did the traditional thing, went to high school and college and, um, thought that I was going to have a long-standing career in 
um, marketing and journalism. I got my first job out of college at a newspaper um, and was given the option of marketing or advertising. I was like, oh, well, advertising seems fun because I wanted to exercise getting to know people out in the world instead of just being in an office. Um, And throughout that process, I established these really incredible relationships with the people in my community. Um, I had about 500 accounts within my um, community, my vicinity. And um, at some point, I realized how much I would enjoy um, studying people at a deeper level. I was raised by a psychologist Mm. and um, decided, you know, I think I want to go back to school um, and become a psychotherapist. And so I left that first job and career um, and went north (laughs) to the city, about a a whole 45 minutes up the highway, (laughs) um, and started grad school. Um, But unfortunately, that program I was in like shut down halfway through. So it was a two and a half year program. It shut down halfway through. They gave us all an ultimatum like, hey, you can transfer to our larger campus far away. Um, or, you know, be well and, <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah, and or peace out. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so I actually opted to transfer to a whole nother university, um, which took me further up north, um, closer to Baltimore, uh, Loyola University, and was there for about a semester and was like, you know, I just don't feel like I vibe with this you know, the space more so mm-hmm. than yeah. um, the focus. Yeah. And so like, I, I left, you know, my pursuit of psychotherapy after a year and a half of oh my goodness, study, yeah. um, because, you know, they kind of wanted me to start over. And I was like, all right, well, my pocket and my time both yeah. don't want to like start from scratch. Yeah. Um, so I went back into marketing um, and in publishing. So I worked for a whole nother publishing company and they were a more traditional publisher in the DC area um, and loved that job. I was a marketing manager, loved it, and then got laid off from that job. And I was like, okay, great. Now what are we doing? Um, And then I got another job and decided um, I really enjoyed the work that I was doing there. I worked with a woman there who was an incredible, brilliant woman who worked Um, in the office that focused a lot on adults and children and the relationships of like parenting and how to parent consciously and that sort of thing. And, um, and the psychological outcomes of parenting from a whole place versus parenting from your trauma. Um, What I didn't realize is that that was a little bit of a precursor to the work that I kind of focus on now. I just thought like, oh, I love this. This is so interesting. Um, And, you know, long story, less long. Um, (laughs) I kind of went through all of that and decided to go back to school for publishing, which is very different, but I loved, um, working in the publishing industry and just thought that I would get to work more with authors. But in the midst of that journey, the publishing industry transformed tremendously. Um, and unless I wanted to move to New York or some other major metropolis city. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, DC is great for publishing, but we're more, it's more academic publishing journals, that sort of thing. Um, and I wanted to get more into like books and, and all of that. Um, and you know, in, in that process, I, you know, went back to marketing. I was, I went back to copywriting. So copywriting and marketing, um, was essentially my career off and on for about 15 years. Um, in the middle of that, it was kind of interwoven. I was a makeup artist and I I did so many side things. Um, and it wasn't until I um, became pregnant with my son 
um, that I even considered what it would look like to operate on my own. You know, at that point, I thought I would always be working in some kind of corporate environment, you know, climbing a ladder of some sort. Um, And when I attempted to climb the ladder at my then current job, um, then current, uh, (laughs) I was essentially, you know, looked at as like, you know, why, why would you, why would we give you more responsibility? You're about to be a mom. And, you know, I had to fight for, you know, I had to fight for a nursing room. Like I was, I was probably four months pregnant and I was asking around like, Hey, is there a separate place for me to pump when I have my baby, when I return from maternity leave? And, you know, they gave me a lot of grief and I did a lot of research and, you know, kind of got on the bad side of HR because I made them accountable for what they didn't have available to their employees. Mm -hmm. Um, And I found out that there were quite a number of them. Like I went around interviewing women that I knew had had babies at that company. There were at least 300 employees there. Um, And so I knew that they were required by law to have, you know, provisions for women to pump that was not the bathroom. Um, So when I returned, yeah, it's disgusting. No one wants to eat their lunch in the bathroom um, or prepare it. (laughs) And um, when I came back from maternity leave, it was the dead of winter. And I was basically told that I could pump in my car in like the cold, which if you've ever pumped um, (laughs) or nursed, like being in a freezing cold car is not it. Like that's not what's up. That's not going to get your milk flowing. (laughs) No, absolutely not. Um, and then my other alternative was the supply closet. Oh my God. So after being walked in on by a few of my male colleagues, I was like, this is, this is not what's going to happen. Um, and I, you know, I, I fought really hard and I knew that at the end of the fight, I would probably be let go because I, I made things very difficult and expensive for them to have to, you know, figure out how to make themselves compliant or there would be legal ramifications. Like nobody wants that, wants that heat. And so I, um, I was essentially given an ultimatum and they made things very hard for me. Um, and, you know, essentially recreated another job that was not my job and said, oh, well, actually, since you're not interested in this thing, we're, we no longer need you. We want someone who's interested in this thing. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I kind of took that as a sign. Like when they, I even remember now when I was called up to HR and, you know, my then supervisor um, sat there kind of smugly and expected me to, I guess, to flip a table or be irate. And I was very collected and calm. I'm still so proud of that performance from myself at that time. Yeah, because I was no kidding. Internally, I was I was reeling, like just so mad because I knew I knew what it was about. Um, but I left there and went to pick up my, you know, my then I think he was he had just turned one. Yeah. My then one year old from daycare. Um and you know, never looked back. And in fact, a few months before then, my partner and I had separated. So I had been kind of starting over as a as a single mom with a little baby and then lost my job. Oh my and, gosh. And picked up my kid and was like, you know what? I don't ever want to work in some office ever again. I never want to have to fight this hard for my my right to basic human rights. Basic human yeah. right, right? And um in a developed country. Um, and so I just got really curious. I, I used up all the savings that I had made my first investment, made my first investment in, um, B school actually. And, 
was like, you know, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I've got to figure this out. So, you know, I, I had, I played a little game of, wouldn't it be great if, and like made a whole list of things that would like be really cool to do. I had no idea if I'd be interested in it. And on that list was being a yoga teacher. Mm. And I recalled how challenging it was for me to be pregnant and, um, my postpartum experience. And, um, I did that primarily by myself. My partner was deployed. Mm. Um, and so I, I realized, you know, that I really loved the work that I did at the um, American Psychological Association where I worked in that office focused on parenting and, and uh, conscious parenting and decided that I really wanted to become a prenatal yoga teacher. It was like, mm. I would love to work with pregnant bodies and just kind of help women um, prepare, like not just like, let's get your you know, hip flexors and pelvic floor and your breath work ready yeah. for having a baby, but like sneak in all that extra stuff. Yeah. All the full, <laughs> the full picture, right? Yeah. More yeah. of a full picture. So yeah, that's essentially where it all kind of started. And then there's so many, so many more stories after that, but that's essentially where I got that, um, where, where my path in this work began. That's, that's an amazing story because I feel like so many of us can resonate with that as you're talking about your workplace. Like I was never in corporate or anything or, in, you know, publishing or marketing. Um, I was never in a place where there was like a corporate ladder to even climb, right? But even still, as soon as you announce that you're pregnant, you're started to treat, you're treated differently as if you're, you know, this extra baggage that's like pulling the team down, even if you're the best person on the team. Um, and I feel like there's this constant assumption that once you're either going to be a mother or you are a mother, that you're weak, right? And your priority is now your child. You're not going to be a team player. And it's like, it's so frustrating to me because I feel like people don't see all of the strengths that mothers bring. Um, and it's this highly high focus on all of the perceived weaknesses by largely kind of this institution that was built for males. And, you know, even something as simple as it's true, like a pumping room, it, there, yeah. that should be staple in all, all workplaces. And on paper it is, but in practice it's not. Um, so yeah, I'm sorry you had to go through that. I can, I can totally, I can feel how, you know, frustrating that would have been and how hard it would have been to stay, you know, calm and collected because I would have wanted to flip a table too. I'd have been like, what? Are you kidding me? <laughs> um, but it's your dignity too, right? It's yeah. like, you know what? This isn't worth it. Like yeah. I, I'm better than this. Um, and you are, and I think it's driven you to, uh, you know, a practice and your work, which you're clearly so passionate about. Um, so why don't you tell me a little bit about, you know, how you kind of go about supporting the the pregnant or the postpartum or the mom, you know, in that journey. So we've talked about yoga a little bit in that physical process. Uh, and one of the things that you mentioned in, on your Instagram is epigenetics. You know, you, you've talked about that before and the epigenetics and the energetics of pregnancy. Can you share with me a little bit more about that? Yeah. So for anyone who's not familiar with the word epigenetics, it's basically the study of how your behaviors and your environment can, um, cause changes in the way your genes work. So, um, so unlike, you know, genetic changes, epigenetic changes are, are reversible. 
um, and they don't change your DNA sequence, um, but they can change how your body reads that DNA. Um, so for example, you know, if you're, if you're raised in a, um, a lineage of, of women who experienced a lot of, um, trauma, physical trauma, sexual trauma, um, and then you enter the world, um, you may have a tendency to be a little more anxious without real explanation, even if it wasn't your experience to have that same trauma. Um, and maybe if you come of age and you start to ask questions or you start to notice, you might see how the women, your mother, or your grandmother, it usually, uh, while the, while the paternal side can definitely impact, um, can definitely impact your epigenetics for sure. It tends to, at least in a lot of um, the research that I've done so far, um, we tend to inherit the nervous system of our grandmothers. Um, so if you um, were born female, um, you're actually, regardless of whether you were born female or not, your, your grandmother was essentially pregnant with the, when she was pregnant with your mother, um, was pregnant with the egg by four months gestation, the same egg that would, you know, contribute to your gestation, right? Mm. So you're- which is so cool. Yeah, which is so cool. So like, you know, your your grandmother's energy, whatever she was dealing with, whatever traumas, whatever hardships, whatever joys, because um, it's not necessarily like a negative thing. So you can um, be epigenetically predisposed to just so much happiness and joy, or you can- um, be predisposed to having a lot of depression or anxiety or, um, you know, all, all the things that can get easily turned on in an environment that is high stress or in relationships that are toxic. Um, those environmental things can turn on those epigenetic cues, right? So when I work with um, pregnant women, prim mostly I work with pre pregnant women at the beginning of our relationship, we talk a lot about, you know, their, their gestation story. So I have them do a little bit of homework if they haven't already to interview their mothers, um, their grandmothers, if they're still around, um, or anyone who was in the vicinity of their mother when their mother was pregnant with them to just kind of get an understanding of the environment that existed when their mother was pregnant with them. Was she happy about being pregnant? How was her relationship with the father? How was her relationship with her own support system? Did she feel supported? All of that. Um, and we use some of that information to, um, you know, create a healing story. So that's kind of where I use my, my background in publishing to kind of help these women craft a story that helps to bridge their relationship to themselves from, you know, them as a child, as, you know, a little girl to coming of age, to being a pregnant woman, and then um, into motherhood so that when they enter into this realm of motherhood, there are pieces that have been sewn together, kind of like an emotional patchwork quilt of Very sorts. Cool. Yeah, so that they're um, they are less likely to uh, mourn the loss of who they were before. Well, like you know, oh man, when I before I had kids, because I, I feel like there's not a whole lot of conversation around what is uh, quote unquote lost when you become a mother. Yeah. You're just like, you know, you're either super excited or like caught up in the, you know, all the energy of being pregnant and being thrown into motherhood and people are like, oh, this is so exciting. And then in those moments when you're alone at night and you're like 
missing sleep for weeks on end and you're like, yeah. oh my gosh, I, and your friends who may not have kids or maybe their kids are older, they're going out, they're doing things and you start to compare your life now, your body now to your life and body then. So when we do this work during pregnancy, it really helps to um, create and celebrate a new um, framework for the life that they're entering into so that it feels like, so it feels more like an authentic celebration. Um, because what's also been found in a lot of research is that women who may have had a very robust social life or a really robust career, they are more likely to develop um, you know, perinatal mood disorders, uh, postpartum depression, anxiety, all of that um, in the early days, weeks, months, and even years of motherhood. Um, so I, I, I really want to, it is my mission essentially to kind of help these women you know, craft the story of their motherhood experience the way that they want to live it and not under the shadow of, well, my mother did it this way. My grandmother did it this way. This is what happened. This is who I am. Um, and maybe choosing a different path if it, if it suits them. And that looks different for everybody. Um, so that's essentially what that looks like. And, and the tools in which that I use in that practice, in those sessions with people is really determined by who they are. Some people really resonate more with the movement aspect. Some people, we speak more about um, our relationship to food even. So whatever their entry port, point is in relationship mm. to their past and their family and themselves is usually where we start. I found what you said really interesting about, you know, that choice of how you enter, you know, into motherhood because that's something, this is work that I wish I did during my first pregnancy because I can see looking back all of those things that you're saying, you know, I had a really good career, I was very independent, I had a social life, and then nobody really prepared me for those huge changes in my life postpartum. Of course, you know, even the body changes I was unprepared for, but the lifestyle changes. And you do end up with this feeling of loss. And I I love the work that you're doing is is almost kind of, it's, it is fully preparing the pregnant person for what life, you know, may be like postpartum and allowing them that freedom of kind of choosing their story. And that's something that I think a lot of women aren't even given the option. You know, th- th- you just have your typical OB or your midwife appointments. Everything is focused on checking up on the baby, you know, baby's fetal heart rate, you know, maybe your blood pressure and that's about it. Um, how do you, how do you find people, obviously people who are working with you are already kind of ready for this, some of this work, right? Um, but how do you find people are able to, um, kind of reconcile some of the things because obviously finding out about your past can be very hurtful for many people, especially who didn't know how their mothers or their grandmothers, um, how they, how they were during their pregnancies. You know, what are some strategies that um, people use through that storytelling process? Okay, to be fair, some of my clients have no idea what they're in for. <laughs> oh, so, really? So, so they get out, yeah. Yeah, so I, I get clients different ways. So like you mentioned in the beginning, my practice is, is pretty hybrid. So my in-person practice is um, in partnership in um, either with a birthing center that's local um, and a lot of people might sign on to me to be their birth doula. Um, mm. And then included in that experience, I do some coaching preemptively. Um, 
and you know, I kind of gauge where they are. If they just don't really seem like they're into doing any kind of inner work, um, then that's fine. We really focus on the nutrition. Um, I do send them like meditation and yoga videos, that sort of thing, so that their physical body is is more prepared. prepared. Um, but as I listen to their story, and I always require a conversation with their partner or support person um, as well, so that I can kind of get a a feel for the energy surrounding the pregnant person. Um, I I tend to introduce or like ask a few questions to kind of probe them a little bit like, Oh, well, have you thought about this? Well, no, actually I haven't. Um, And, and so um, with those people, I, my approach is is a little different and some of the tools, you know, that I have them do, like I said, I, I have them do some homework um, which is either journaling or kind of like having some insightful conversations with their mothers or aunties or grandmas, um, you know, the the maternal lineage in their families and sometimes even their paternal lineage. So I've had a client who was raised by her father and just had access to her father's sisters, her father's mother, all of that. Um, and the interesting thing about, you know, the father's uh, epigenetic um inheritance, like what you inherit from your fathers energetically, the the father can essentially be stamped with experience from the moment you are conceived, right? Because they're like, their sperm is just like always, (laughs) you know, uh, creating itself, right? So refreshing itself. Yeah, refreshing. (laughs) So, so from the moment that they make their um, contribution, Contribution. we'll say, (laughs) um, their, their experiences can essentially also be refreshed up into that very moment. Um, so it's, it's not always as deeply rooted right. as the maternal um, line. Which makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I have them do some journaling work. I'll give them some questions. I also have them explore their cultural foods. So asking like, you know, what did I eat when I was little or, you know, and it may not even go as deep as uh, like I I had a a client recently who was from Trinidad and she was raised eating Caribbean food and um, she was raised in a more Caribbean culture, which is very communal. So she had like family all around and all of this. Um, And so I, I told her to honor that because a lot of times books will, will, will kind of outline, these are the recipes and these are the things, but I want people to also make space for where they've come from because your comfort food from one country, if you were raised in a certain culture, is going to be very different than, you know, the culture food of another person from another culture or who may have been, you know, raised in America. And, and, and I, and I bring up that example because I remember one of the, um, one of her birth team people, I would say in the, in the uh, birthing center, uh, told her, well, you know, I think you need to just focus on eating American food. And, (laughs) and just like this, this conversation, that's like, you know, the standard is this, this. Um, And so I I, like, I'm familiar with this. So this is what you need to do. Yeah. So this is versus like, it's not about you. It's about the person, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and those like, and I'm, I'm talking about food, but it, it goes kind of with everything. So if it's not familiar to the person, if the practices aren't familiar to the person, if the, you know, the food, the, the movements, all of that, if they aren't familiar to the person, you kind of have to get to a place where you can speak to what's familiar to them. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and so you know i I encourage them to consider their best method for connecting to themselves. Some people like to write. Some people just like to think out loud or talk out loud. So I'll say, well, you know, record a message to your younger self um, or write a letter to your younger self, like younger as in could have been yesterday or it could have been five, 10, 15 years ago. Um, So we do a lot of introspective work in that way. Um, And I often craft meditations based on, you know, where they are in their mind or what they need. Some people are very anxious going into motherhood or not even motherhood, but birth, um, where they're very afraid of um, what could happen. Um, And I, yeah, yeah, the changes and even the birth experience. And I I felt that more from my, uh, my clients who are black women um, who are afraid of, you know, they know about the maternal mortality rate as it impacts black women and also women of color and so they like they have a lot of fear sometimes and so it which is one reason why a lot of my local clients seek me out because they want someone that looks like them or you know like someone in their family understands yeah, yeah. and and so you know just seeking out those comfort those additional comfort measures which can come from the representation in the room or on your birthing team and so mm-hmm. um, i mean that's one of the tools like you know um introspective journaling or conversation with yourself and not from a place of, oh, I feel crazy talking to myself, but like have a conversation. What would you say to your younger self? Um, And then also a conversation and a letter to their future self based off of what they know about themselves right now, all the things that they've overcome. I have them like make a list of all the things that you really, that you won at in life, that you felt like a winner. It doesn't have to be anything extravagant. It could be like, I won the spelling bee in second grade or like Mm -hmm. anything that really brings up a sensation of joy and pride and excitement that you did on your own, you know, that didn't include, oh, well, someone else helped me or someone outside of me did this thing so that they can really get in touch with their ability to show up for themselves, for them to overcome a difficult experience maybe um, because those are also the things that, that need to be remembered during the phase of birth that, is super hard, the transition phase where you're like, I don't think I can do this. How big is this baby that's about to come out of me? I'm so scared. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So that phase, it's so important to remember what you're made of um, and to also remember the the lineage of support that is energetically pushing you forward. Wow. That that is powerful. I it makes me think of, you know, I always say like celebrate your wins. And we think about that I think about that now, but going back and making a list of all of your past wins, because that's going to help you propel, propel you forward and kind of arm you with that, that strength, that inner strength, that inner power within you. Um, and we forget about all of our wins. We remember our failures, our biggest weaknesses, our, you know, our terrible moments because they leave this kind of scar, right? But it's so easy to forget those joyful moments. And one thing that I've started to do is to just record, because of being on social media, I record things a lot more. Um, and I I started noticing just even the shift, because obviously we're going to record our happier moments and post that, for, and we're not going to post our saddest moments. And sometimes I'll share some sad moments, but not not usually. And it forces me to really change that reflection on on the positive. 
you know, while also honoring the kind of the sadness or the grief that can come with with motherhood, it's also important to celebrate all of those little joyful moments. Um, and what you said about transition being kind of the hardest part of of that birthing process, I remember my second time around, I was like, I got this because I knew I had done it the first time. But my first time, I didn't know I, I got this. So there was a lot of fear. And I remember my two midwives, you know, one of them looked at me and said, you know, you can be scared. It's okay to be scared, but you can do this. And just like that confidence that she had, and I was seeking kind of that, the energy of the people around me to kind of give me that confidence. And I love that you, um, you know, have an interview even with, or a conversation even with a partner, if the person has a partner, because that's so true. The energy of who that partner is and their relationship can really be supportive or or not. And I think that there's so much blame given to the woman, right? The birthing person, if birth didn't go the way that she had planned. But there's not enough conversation about the fact that it's not just you, it's who's around you, who's in your environment, and who is creating this um, positive or negative kind of, you know, is your partner confident in your abilities? Are they supportive of you? And I can see it as, you know, with some of the clients that I, I work with and I can see it in from what they're describing to me, you know, how their relationships are is they don't feel supported. And if they don't feel supported postpartum, I imagine that their birth experience might have been somewhat similar as well. Uh, and so I love, love, love that you talk about that. And these are the hard conversations that people need to do. The, the hard, it is challenging work because it's your inner work that needs to happen and I think honestly that you probably see this is it helps you be a better mom, right? It helps you show up better as a mom to a newborn and as, as a mom to an aging, you know, toddler and preschooler and beyond. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, I love that analogy. You know, you, you, you had mentioned how the birthing process is an analogy for everyday life. Can you go, go into that a little bit more? Yeah, so... In addition to working with the women who are pregnant or they are mothers, I have also worked with women who may have zero intention of ever becoming pregnant or, or you know, having children from their own bodies. Um, and what I've noticed is in their experiences and also in mine, there's always those, those moments or those experiences in life that have phases, right? You've got this excitement phase, like you get a new job and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm so excited. I want to tell everyone that I've got this new job, like your first trimester experience, right? Yeah. And then like, you know, it's a little bit challenging, you know, you're learning things like, oh my God, I don't know if I can do this. You're feeling a little sick to your stomach at the end of every day. Like, I don't know if I'm going to lose my job. You get past that first 90 days and you're like, oh my gosh, I've got this. I've got this. You feel good. You walk into work early. You leave late. You're talking to everybody. You know everybody at the water cooler. Like your second trimester, you're feeling more confident, more more self-assured in your body and in your role in where you are. And then, you know, there's that phase, like after long a long second trimester, the third trimester, you're kind of entering into like over it. Like I'm a little over this. I didn't, you know, get the promotion I wanted. Like this yeah. is becoming too much. It's too much of a burden. You know, they they ask too much of me. I'm not getting paid enough, like whatever. Um, <laughs> and then there's, you know, there there might be this inspiration to like, you know, I want to go for something bigger. I want to push past what I know now 
and get to something bigger. But then you enter like what what would be like the birth phases um, mm-hmm. of, you know, gosh, this is kind of painful. I'm kind of scared. Is this, is this true? Do I really want to change jobs or change careers or change positions or climb a ladder? Um, or, you know, is this just kind of a false start? I'm just kind of bored. I just need to take a vacation. Like, what is it? Um, and then you kind of get through, you know, yes, this is definitely happening. I'm definitely supposed to be somewhere else or supposed to be making more money. Um, and I'm using a, a job analogy, but because I think a lot of people can relate to that. Um, but then there's also that point where you get to, you're, you're going through these process, maybe you're shopping for new jobs, you're going through interviews, all of this. And then you might reach a point where you're like, I don't know if I can do this. Like, I, you know, in the, in the sense of people who step out of corporate in general and just go into working for themselves, there's like this phase in entrepreneurship where you're like, I don't think I could do this. Like, this mm-hmm. is hard. The money isn't steady. Like everything is pressing on me at one time. I feel the pressure of my life. And I don't know if I have enough in me to get through to what I see as success on the other side. Like maybe it's not meant for me. Maybe I'm not supposed to be here. Um, and that would be like that transition phase where you're just doubting everything about yourself. It's too hard. It hurts. You're being stretched beyond anything that you thought you could ever manage. Um, and then you surprise yourself. It's kind of like I call them like the suddenlies of God. Like, you know, like suddenly all this all this really hard stuff was going on and then suddenly you've got this beautiful thing on the other side you get a bonus you get the job of your dreams you get a check in the mail like all all the exciting all the success. things yeah. all the successes that can happen that kind of feel like they just happened overnight but you knew the process and the phases that it took for you to get there and but the joy is so overwhelming and so exciting that it's like oh my god it was so worth it um and so that's that's kind of how i think of um, life in general, because I, I, I do kind of feel like birth is this lesson. It's like this ultimate lesson to all of us, whether you are male, female, non-binary, birthing, non-birthing, where you can really identify with the experience of going through a process and having those, um, a few years ago, like the the dark night of the soul was a very common thing people talked about, but like everyone has these low moments where they're like, I don't think I can do this. I don't know if I'm cut out for this, whatever it is. Um, And then you kind of come up with this internal fortitude enough to just push beyond one last push, one last, last push. And you just get to the other side but in that pushing process, I remind people how important it is to find a rhythm that works for you. Someone else's rhythm is not your rhythm. And so we also live in a society that encourages us to kill ourselves in order to achieve mm. and to like push beyond um, so that if you're in a birthing body, pushing when it's not time to push can you know, turn, I mean, you've seen this as a PT, mm-hmm. like pushing when it's not time to push can, you know, lead to drastic outcomes. Um, and the same is true for life. If you push beyond your own limitations and you know that your body's exhausted and you haven't really been taking care of yourself and you're not nourishing yourself well, and it's not really the time for you to show up in a certain capacity, people experience more burnout. Some people end up getting chronic illnesses and, and dis-ease in the body because they did not respect their own rhythms. So 
I tend to speak in the analogy of birth quite often when I speak to just about anyone because I want people to really understand how, how important it is to honor ourselves, our internal strengths, what we're made of, and to also honor our own unique rhythms. That's a, that's a beautiful analogy. And the unique rhythms, we, we live in this comparison mode too with, with I think the forced being at home all the time with the pandemic. People are on social media more and it's not necessarily celebrities that they're following, which that might be the case, but they're also following their friends and seeing all these highlight reels show up and your friend, your sister, your sister-in-law, your whoever, your cousin may be going through a completely different pace, rhythm, and that's none of your business. That's their own. That's their own story. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't take away from your own joy. Um, you know, I had a mom, one of my clients saying like, oh, my sister-in-law just gave birth, you know, six weeks ago and she's like bounced back. Like how, and she's, you know, she was at the time six months postpartum and she's like, you know, it's just so frustrating. And I'm like, you know, why it's frustrating is because we're socialized as females to compare bodies and to want to snap back. If you were raised in a culture where that wasn't a thing, you wouldn't even be thinking this. Like in India, like my parent, my mom was saying, like there was no snapback pressure or anything. Like there, bigger is better as your postpartum, right? Because that means you're able to produce lots of milk yeah, and you're, you're voluptuous, healthier. you're healthier. But here it's almost, it's, it's counterproductive to the maternal health is to push this, you know, snapback, um, this just fit bodies on all of this pressure to kind of look a certain way. And people, I think, hang on to this like, oh, well, once I get back my body, right? And I'm like, you may never get back to where you were before. And that's yeah. okay. Yeah. And I think what you said about that um, fear of change, it's like, can I do this? Can I you know, should I push through to this new job or new new change? And it's like you find the inner strength to kind of get there. But you also need to honor that that change, that transformation that you've experienced um, is so beautiful. And it's more beautiful than maybe how you, uh, the importance that you're giving to how you look right now. Yeah, or absolutely. What society tells you how you should be looking, right? Yeah. Um, because I think there's so much, and I find that the moms who are who have the more the poorer body image postpartum, they have inner work to do that has nothing to do with body image. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. There's other stuff going on that perhaps they haven't worked through. It's something that I see happen all of the time. Mm -hmm. Is oh, I looked like this at my wedding and I want to go back to looking like that. But, you know, why is that the, the benchmark? <laughs> you know, how you looked like you were 25 when you're 35 or 45 now. Yeah. Um, and I really noticed that as we honor this whole birthing process from, you know, preconception to, be, to beyond, to postpartum and beyond, I really am now seeing the beauty in all of it, all of the phases that when I had my first you know, I was that person that you were talking about. I was anxious going into it. I was very fearful of the outcomes. Um, and there was other things going on during the pregnancy that was creating that as well. I had bleeding, I had complications. But I wonder too how much of that was created by my inner um, kind of sense going into it, right? It's like if you're going yeah. into it with this feeling of doom or a fear, your outcomes may be different too versus when you're going into it going into it with joy yeah. and my second pregnancy I was going into it with more joy because I I knew 
like how amazing it can be. And I knew that it was like temporary discomforts. Uh, and it turns out to be like such a great pregnancy overall. I still am going to say I, n- I didn't enjoy being pregnant either time. <laughs> I would prefer not to be because it's hard work. And I yeah. like we need to honor that. You know, I, I often wondered how amazing would it be if women were paid to be pregnant? Because that is hard work. And we're bringing so in a, hu- a human being who is going to be a future taxpayer. If women weren't doing this, there would be no babies. Absolutely. So it's like we need that. to honor the work that women are doing in their bodies. On top of that, they're going to work and, you know, for a paying job and balancing all of this load. And, you know, we really can't be seen as weak. And I want any pregnant person listening to this just to know how strong you are. Um And every day that you're pregnant, or not even every day that you're pregnant, every day that you're doing what you're doing, you can write as a win because you've gotten through that hard day. Um, And when you're making that that list, yeah. 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 No, I'm so glad that you said that because that's one thing that I encourage the women that I work with and just women in general. Like there's, there's no pressure to be this magical pregnant fairy. Like I I hear that a lot. Like, oh my God, I don't feel joyful about being pregnant. Like it doesn't feel good to be pregnant. And they they say it in a very shameful kind of way. Like, gosh, there must be something wrong with me that I'm not loving every minute of this. Um, And I encourage them to like be in their experience. There is no requirement for you to just love every moment of your body, you know, growing. And in addition to that, all the things that come with it, you know, like all the things the body does when you're pregnant, it is not joyful. Some of it is gross, Some, you know, like, but in honoring that, like, you know, this is my body is going through a change. I don't have to love every minute of this. And that's okay. And also I can do my own healing work while also not loving every minute of pregnancy. So embodying healing during the gestation or early motherhood years, months or years, it doesn't require you to love every second of where you are. Um, And and what I find is that, you know, I'm glad that you mentioned like the snapback culture thing. Like I have a really big problem with that just because women do get very preoccupied with, I, I need to get smaller because there is this fear of I'm going to lose my support, i.e. my partner mm. or my status in life or my social circles if I still look a certain way. Like I'm supposed to like get past being pregnant. I'm supposed to right. look like, like it never happened. Um, and that is the harm of our culture. And so I really, I really would love to see this evolution of a change of relationship between this maternal season um, and also, you know, just the the maternal archetype in general, um, our relationships to our mothers, our ma- relationships to mothering people, yeah. our relationship, and and not from a place of othering, because there are there are a group of people who see that as like, oh, well, that's a whole nother kind of privilege. I feel like there can be an honoring of that. Like we would not, none of us would be here without a mothering body. Like that yeah. is just the reality. That's the facts. Yeah. That's the facts. Yeah. Um, but I feel like it it can be this place of, you know, feeling honored without being treated like you're fragile. Right. Exactly. Because you're not fragile, right? You're not. You're even more powerful than you ever exactly. imagined you could be. Exactly. And I, I totally agree. I remember, you know, this I – t- I used to take the TTC, which is a 
Toronto um, Transit Commission, the public transit to work mm. um, during my first pregnancy. My second was basically on the during the pandemic, so I didn't go anywhere. But my first, you know, I was very large, my my belly, my bump, and there were many times people wouldn't get up to give me a seat because they would see me as like I wasn't struggling, I wasn't like visibly groaning, but it's like I also want to see because I'm eight months pregnant and I. I'm exhausted and I work as a physiotherapist. I'm on my feet all day as it is. But these people don't know that. And I feel like people are so, um, it's like they want that balance between like, oh yeah, we have to respect women, which means we can't let them go first all the time or like have a seat because that would be, you know, anti-feminist. But it's like, you know what? You can still honor that this person is growing a human and you can say like you this person probably needs rest not because she's female but because she's doing a lot of work and offer you know that i think that's something that societal view of mothering like you said is we need to view it with higher regard and higher respect because it takes a lot and we as mothers because we don't often talk about it we we keep that to ourselves we keep all the hardness to ourselves people don't i think society just doesn't see it and we make it look easy sometimes because we're smiling all we share our kids smiling in our photos we're we're sharing all the highlights and i want people who are listening to this to know that every mother is going through a lot of stuff right like we we do a lot and not just in what we do at home but like our physical being is going through so many changes mentally emotionally um and we need to honor all of that yeah absolutely All right, friends, to all of our listeners out there, I want you to stay tuned for part two of this episode. Episode six is broken down into two two parts because this is such a juicy conversation and I don't want to stuff too much in one because it can be a lot to absorb. So I want you to let this simmer and tune in next week for part two of this episode with Takesha August. Takesha, thank you so much for spending your time with us today. To all my listeners, please like and subscribe to this podcast so you can be informed when the next episode, when part two drops and when all future episodes drop. And make sure to leave a review, a five-star rating, a comment so that more mamas can find Um, this very important information. And if you found this conversation helpful, share this with a mama-to-be in your life. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Mom Strength and being part of this important conversation. Check out the show notes for more info and links, and we'll chat again real soon.